Too grandastic, Eric. It is so great to have you on here. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it, it it is it is an honor to have you on here and uh, just to groove out with you and talk about whatever. Could we? I mean, we talk about a lot of stuff in class too and everything, but it's just great to have you here and go wherever you know, and just not about wise or anything. You know, we can really talk yeah. about other stuff. <laughs> I mean, not like we talk about wise in class anyway. Yeah. Right? But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I try. I try to stay on topic, but it's it's hard sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, it's like I mean, sometimes like like other students that we have, you know, just they ask some good questions or or just like like just important questions about our future in the music industry, or it could kind of relate to wise. I don't know, but I think it's important yeah. to talk about that stuff. <laughs> for some people, yeah, for some people it does. Yeah, yeah. But um, how's your day been? Uh, good. Yeah. I took my youngest son to fencing this morning. Nice. How was that? Yeah. We're, we're doing our best to be as bourgeois as possible here, um, in Kensington, but, um, took him to fencing and then did some yard work and, uh, that's pretty much it. And came down here, made sure the camera worked, you know, Yeah. messed around on some synths for a little while, you know, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been a relaxing day. I mean, I knew I didn't have a lot going on today, so this was a good, good, good time to do it. Yeah. No. Well. Yeah. Thank you again. Honestly, it was like it honestly worked out perfectly. And literally, I did a podcast two days ago with someone else, and my camera didn't work, so I had to go. It was a whole shit show. Like it was just like didn't work. I had to go straight to the MacBook, <laughs> and then it was like their camera was a lot better. It was just a whole mess. But for some reason today decided to work Logitech camera and everything and the monitor, and I was like, okay. That's a good sign. So I'm glad everything's smoothly working or grooving, whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, I teach with this rig a lot. So um, usually, not always, but usually it's pretty plug and play, you know. Yeah. Although I was wearing a lav for a long time. I just started to have problems with it for some reason. So I busted out the the SM7B, yeah. you know, for That's... the radio voice. That's better than well. That mic is like perfect for that. I mean, I don't know if the AKG C four one four is the right mic, but it, it does the trick for right now. Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, you know, better to have a mic that does everything than an SM seven that's really only good for a few things, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, this this microphone's. I mean, it's very you know universal. I can use it for like the, the oh, classical, or I, I don't know if you can see the sitar right here, or you know, it's just it's just. It's my baby. It does. It does this magic when I need it. Yeah. No, that's a that's a desert island mic. You know, people might be like, "Oh, U eighty seven or whatever," but four fourteen is. That's pretty good, and I I found for on male voice, it's like pretty golden for that too. Yeah. Well, this was used. I got it for only six hundred dollars, and I was like, and it like was I just was just open. There was no real scratches, and I tested it. That was the that was the thing. I was I was. I didn't know how it was. So I just bought it without knowing, yeah. like, seeing the actual condition. But it came and it, you know, I got insurance just in case for it. But yeah, yeah. so far it's been doing the magic. So, yeah, I love it. That's a great mic. Yeah, I mean, you can do anything with that thing. I mean, I probably wouldn't mic a kick drum with Well, actually, you probably could. Yeah, I mean, you could for sure. But then, you know, you always you have to have like a few of these around, you know. Yes. Like, 
Yes. And well, I was trying to like, I was actually talking to Steve about this was like, um, you know, he was telling me like in the, and maybe we talked about this too, but like in the, like the old days with jazz stuff, they just had one mic for the drums, just like right in front. Yeah. And then that's how, that's what it was. And I was like, wow. And I was like, how, how, like, where would that even go? And like, you had to get all the sounds and like, like, I feel like that would be kind of like, I don't know if the word's tricky, but I mean, we have yeah. to understand how to mic that properly. Well, I went down a rabbit hole about, I don't know, 10 years ago with recording big bands, recording like jazz big band. Okay. And because uh, I played jazz, like my instrumental performance background has been mostly jazz or, over the years. I mean, lots of other stuff, but mostly jazz. Um, so I know a lot of players and I thought, oh, I'll do some big band stuff. I mean, who's doing that? Like, that would be really fun. And um, down at Foothill, you know, the other school I teach at, we have a huge live room. Like the live room is like, it's got to be like 50 by 50 or something like that. Wow. You know, like you could put a whole like chamber orchestra or something in there, you know. That's awesome. Um, so big band, I was like, oh, I should do some big band. We've got the gear. We've got the space. You know, it doesn't cost any money because it's at my school. Um, so I went down the rabbit hole of researching how like all the Sinatra recordings were done and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, not very many mics, man. They would do the whole big band with um, maybe six mics, something like that. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, like one mic on the brass, one mic on the winds, uh, one mic on the drum kit, one mic on the bass, one mic on the piano, um, I guess on the guitar, if there's guitar. Like that was it. And um, and then a vocal, you know, then the vocal. Was that um, intentional or was that like a preference or I, something? I think a limitation of the technology at the time, Okay. you know? But then, you know, what I always find interesting is that to go from that to something that was more co complex, but that actually had a meaningful impact on the result mm -hmm. was like, you know, was many years later because they needed multi-track, right? They needed yeah. more, you know, bigger mixers, multi-track tape. You know, I think they were, they were working with, I can't remember if it was two tracks, three tracks, something weird like that. Basically the band and then one track for the vocal so that they could overdub vocals later if they wanted to or he, he would always sing with the band he would always sing with the recording um but he was on an isolated track so that they could ah. replace that if they wanted to i mean it was sinatra right so like yeah. he's you're going to give him his own track but then the whole rest of the band i think was on one or two tracks like, wow. that was it that that's so that's crazy that's like especially like you know jazz is one thing but having a big swing yeah. band like oh my god yeah so they'd have to just dial it all in in the room, right? Like everything had to sound great in the room. Um, and then minimal miking. And it was all on vinyl, so they probably weren't like, oh, let's mic the kick and get like a big boomy mm -hmm. kick. They probably, like that would be something they wouldn't want. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? No, yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, I went down that rabbit hole and I made a big band recording that never got released <laughs> because I made the mistake. I made the mistake. They wanted to overdub solos. Right. So we got the whole big band in, we tracked like 10 tunes, 12, 12 tunes, something like that in like one day. Right. But they wanted to overdub all the solos. And I thought, okay, fine. Sure. Well, the logistics of getting all those people in to overdub solos was such that it just never happened. I think we finished maybe two songs, not enough to make back then you wanted like an album worth of material. Yeah. Now I would have just put out those two songs, you know, would you still um, put them out today? Those two songs? 
Uh, you know what's funny is I think I gave them all the file. A few years later, I gave them all the files, and I was like, you guys can do what you want with these. Um, this would have been like 2012. And um, sure, there was like a singles culture of like iTunes and, and whatnot, but there wasn't really Spotify mm. and things like that where it was just like that super low barrier yeah. to where you could just release one song. You know, so um, I this is kind of the story of my life. I've had other bands that were really, really good that always were driving toward having like a 10 song record. Mm -hmm. And then we would never get to the, the seven, eight, nine, ten 10 songs. So then that would, that band would never release any material. Like that's not what you would do now. Right. Yeah. You would, when you had one song, you'd put it out. Um, so it's kind of funny. I, I kind of in my thirties where I was making a lot of music, like in the aughts, you know, mm -hmm. um, almost none of it ever came out, you know, because it was still in that, transitional period where people still thought about albums you know like a whole album yeah. worth of material so yeah this big band um some of my synth pop projects um garage rock bands i've been in jazz fusion bands i've been in, like would often would never release anything even if we had some good recordings because you'd have this target of let's say at least eight songs right yeah and you'd never get there you would just never get there you know I feel that today, um, like just trying to like um, release just one song, you know, I feel like I'm like, I don't know. I know today, like you're saying, like, it's all about, you know, get singles. That's where it's at. But I like the whole album. I like, and oh, like, yeah. call me old soul or whatever, but like you see the vinyl here. I just like looking at the photos, reading the lyrics, mm. this, you know, seeing who's on bass, who is the engineer, you know, this whole story. And you couldn't jump, you know, you had to listen from start unless you move the needle, but like. I like right. hearing the whole story. Today, people with their attention span, they like to jump around and not. And I feel like that's like, what was the whole point? Like the person put all this work in for this. Well, I think vinyl has its place. It, it used to be listening to a record was like an event, right? Yeah, like you'd yeah. buy the record, you'd go home, you'd listen to it. People would come over, you'd put on the record and maybe it'd be in the background, but still you you had like chosen to listen to that record probably start to finish. Now I feel like the way we consume music, and I do this, we all do this. I'm in the car, I just bop around and listen. Even when I'm driving, I'm like, Siri, play this. Siri, play that. Siri, play, you know, and I just jump around to whatever I'm thinking of. Unless I put on something more random. Like I'll listen to Sirius, mm -hmm. you know, Sirius Radio yeah. sometimes. Because yeah. um, then you're actually, it kind of bridges that gap, right? It's a DJ who actually cares about what they're playing. Mm -hmm. But... um there's no ads, you know, there's nothing like to drive me crazy. I, I run it, I'm running a car right now and I have it on like some regular radio station and how you forget so quickly for me anyway, like how frustrating it is. You're listening to the station. They play a couple of songs. You're like, Oh, this is cool. Like they're playing songs I love, you know, or new songs that, Oh yeah, this is great. You know? And then five minutes of ads come on and you're like, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, how does anyone do this anymore? Um, but so I do like Sirius, I have to say, I, I've, you know, I have an 80s band and 80, yeah. I'm just kind of an 80s, 80s guy, you know, and like First Wave, the Sirius New Wave Station yeah, is really excellent. First Wave, that's like, yeah, that's like, my mom has this. So I remember just like, even growing up, that's what we listened to. Or, you know, E Street Radio, that was my dad's go-to, yeah. like, you know, that was all yeah. we listened to growing up. They have a, they, they have a bunch of cool stuff. It's not for everyone, I realize, you know, I mean, but um, sometimes I don't want to have to curate everything yeah exactly myself, or know? like you know some I, I think it's i don't know i didn't i realizing it now i feel like that's like 
Maybe I don't know if the word I I think it's a tough job. Maybe because you got to make sure the mood you're you're hitting song after song that and I don't know like yeah. when they when you feel a groove and they're just like man man they're just hitting the hit songs and it's maybe it's not even the one hit wonder songs like even just the songs yeah. like from an album that you you didn't hear too much of but it's like it fits the vibe and I think like that's a tough job I'm realizing now like making sure everyone vibes to what you're playing. Well, I mean. I will say about serious like first wave um, when a certain DJ's on, and there's some well, a lot of them came from K Rock in LA, which was really the the station that broke new wave, okay. broke in a good way, right? Brought brought new wave to the US was K Rock, kind of like I don't know if you ever listened to KCRW in LA. Mm-hmm. KCRW really, um, at one point, maybe 20 years ago. Um, Nick Harcourt and the DJs, I lived there at the time, they were really breaking a lot of like indie and alternative artists because it was it was an NPR station, right? It was a public yeah. radio station. Um, I guess I shouldn't say NPR, but a public radio station. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I think about this, K-Rock was kind of doing that, you know, in the early 80s. They were bringing all the new wave, the, you know, that second British invasion, bringing them over. And then artists like Duran Duran or whatever would cross over into the mainstream. But um what, anyway, what I was going to say is that those DJs, when it's a particular DJ, DJ like Richard Blade or Sluggo or these guys, you know, um, when they're on, they pretty much, they do play a fairly limited selection of stuff. Mm, you know, yeah. like when Richard Blade's on, you know, he's playing Depeche Mode because he knows the guys in the band from the eighties. And, you know, so, you know, he's playing a bunch of Depeche Mode, you know, he's playing New Order, you know, like, you, you, and then when Sluggo comes on, you know, you know, he's playing more like a little bit more guitar oriented yeah. stuff, but still new wave. Um, I don't mind that at all, but I'm just saying it's not like they're play they're It's not like they're playing a if you if you looked at it over like a couple weeks or a month they're probably not playing more than 100 different songs yeah um so they've got their thing i guess that's what i'm saying now these guys aren't young they've got to be older than me because they were djs in the 80s and i was a kid in the 80s Mm -hmm. so um they've got their thing i don't know i like it but i'm just saying just in response to what you were saying about oh it must be tricky I mean, they have their thing, you know, like and you have your niche kind of thing and then people yeah. pick up on it and then they just like they stick with you for that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and so I think Richard Blade probably, you know, if you look at his show on Monday and his show on Tuesday and his show on Wednesday, you know, they're probably I don't want to say the same and I mean and I, I, the guy's great. I mean, I love listening to him on the radio, just hearing him talk about this stuff. And he does, he's the one who does all the special stuff. Like in the afternoons, he'll do like Magnificent Seven. He picks seven tunes from like a year in the eighties, you know, yeah. or he does like, um, he'll have every week he has an artist on that's like the featured artist of the week. And only because he's so well known in that, in the new wave world, he, he gets like Morrissey on for like five days in a row. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, yeah, so he, he, you know, it's one of those guys that he's so plugged into the scene, like guys would have been in the UK back in the day or something, you know? Yeah, Uh-oh. I mean, that's... Hang on, my video. Something happened. Your video good? Is Are you seeing it? Hang on, let me go off. Uh-oh. It might be, it's frozen a little, but... Yeah, we're, we're back, we're back. Here we are. Uh- I think I jinxed it by saying, "Oh yeah, this rig usually works pretty well." It, it's, wor- <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's all good. I was just talking. I was just talking to the people, or to myself, so when the people listen, they can hear it. And just, just filling, filling space. Yeah, filling. Yeah, a hundred percent. There is this other Eric, which is you, that still says it's loading, which is weird. But I'm not going to look at that. That's just probably some weird glitch. 
Uh, leave that guy. Yeah, leave that guy out. Leave him out. But yeah, I'm glad it's working. Yeah, I don't know what's with the connection, but uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was just getting we were making we were getting too boring talking about serious. No, not <laughs> at all. To me, this is all interesting, and like uh, I really like Riverside a lot using this, um, just this platform. I don't know because I didn't know Zoom. Zoom now, like you only can go up to 45 minutes, and then that's it. It cuts you off. And I was like, oh, I had like the pro account or something um which isn't super expensive it's like maybe 15 dollars a month so, but yeah, so. but this is this is actually recording locally recording me locally and then uploading it right yeah uploading to the cloud and you get and it's high definition it can go up to like you know up, yep. it can go up to 4k the max and then whatever level. all right don't put me on you got to airbrush me or something. yeah no no no, no 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 i'm not we're going to 180 <laughs> we're just going to 180 because 4k i did it before with someone else and it took two days for it to fully like yeah 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 and i was just i like, think for me it's like you know 320 by 240 you know like the little thumbnail yeah, yeah. that's that's that's, that's um, the spot for sure or run the or you know run the filter run the instagram filter on me yeah <laughs> the card run the kardashian filter on me <laughs> a lot of people um, use that surprisingly I didn't of realize. course uh, yeah yeah sure. but, but on podcasts there's some people who use it i didn't know that was a thing on podcasts i was like i was like wow i think that's uh interesting to say the least but yeah going going back like we were saying overall just like full circles like i think overall i do i do like the radio but i also love spotify playlists spotify playlists i feel like they just nail it or they they figure out like the songs you like they start generating like your daily or weekly whatever uh playlist mm -hmm. of the week it's like i feel like they always are on point you know and like speaking of 80s like someone who i've been getting into is like <laughs> i'm getting into christopher cross like <laughs> yeah 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 i love i love his, his songs like i don't know would like I don't know why. I feel like he was underrated in the '80s. Unless I'm wrong. Unless I just like I never heard him a lot when like my parents listened to talk about '80s music and stuff. But like I no, he was big. He was he was big in the '80s. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's interesting is, um, yeah, my wife and I listened to like uh, "Ride Like the Wind." You know, and the Michael McDonald's in there. You know, yeah, and so yeah, you hear yeah. you hear that like Doobie Brothers, Michael McDonald. You know. <laughs> That's such a long stuff. way to go. You yeah. know, he does his little like, <laughs> and you like, you instantly know it's him. I think he wrote that song or he was, really? he might've, he wrote a lot of hits in the eighties, but I actually saw Michael McDonald live a couple, right before COVID. Really? He still sounds the same. And, uh, he had the drumming, uh, he, you know, back in the day, um, Jeff Percaro, I think, uh, you know, it was one of the legendary studio guys played on some of those tunes. And so I love the drumming. So it's kind of a yeah. big role in the Michael McDonald band. You got to have like a kick-ass drummer because when you're going to play, um, I keep forgetting, you know, like some of those songs mm -hmm. are like the drum parts are, you know, well, just like in class, like we were pocket, talking about yeah. like drumming is so like, I mean, in general drumming is key, but like learning about what was the the style type of drumming when the left, like when they don't have to cross over, it's a, Oh it yeah. Open-handed. Open they call it open-handed. Like yeah. that was so amazing. Like watching that and just seeing like how yeah. like beneficial that is because you don't have to cross and it helps save time. Like, holy shit. Drumming's like, that's the new, that's like the thing I'm into right now, or at least like percussions, at least like Samba, like learning how they yeah. play and stuff. It blows my mind. Well, you know, one of the things I was also talking about is um, for me, getting getting deep into drumming during covid um i started getting into 
well, I already, I've always had an acoustic kit for other people to come over and play at my studio, mm -hmm. uh, which is another funny story. I traded an iLock many years ago, like 20 years ago. I had a good buddy. He ran a pretty big studio and he had some drummers that came in all the time. Nice. Uh, and they would like barter drum kits with him to get studio time. Right. So some like some of the top drummers in the Bay Area would come to his studio and uh, for personal projects. I mean, he would hire them for for for, you know, sessions, but they'd want to do a personal project. And it was like, I don't know what it costs, five hundred dollars a day or something. They'd be like, well, I'll give you this snare. How about that? And he'd be like, cool, because he wanted to build up his yeah. arsenal, you know. So one day he was putting a second room together and he knew I had an iLock that had an NFR, meaning like the, you know, industry accommodation kind of yeah. plugins. I had an NFR iLock of everything Waves made, all Waves Whoa. on an iLock. And but it was Waves 4, 5, I don't know, something okay. back then. So I knew, he knew, we both knew in a year or two that it wouldn't be worth anything because the next version would come out and then the next version would come out. You know, eventually that iLock was not, yeah, anyway, didn't matter. He was opening a second room and in his mind, this iLock was worth thousands of dollars, even though I had gotten it for free, basically. Sweet. So he traded me a drum kit, all the hardware, all the cymbals, uh, everything for like a nice pearl kit for this iLock that I didn't even really need at the time. That's you know? a score. Oh anyway, still have that kit. I still have that. I have a new, I have a newer kit now, but I still have that kit. Um, and you know, good symbols, DW hardware, like a whole, like a nice rig. He had three complete drum kits in his studio. Right. That's... So he was like, he was like, I'll give you this. I'll give you kit number three. I never use it. And so I had that when people would come to my studio to record or rehearse, I had that. So when I got kind of obsessed with drums last year, I had this kit already, you know, so I just finally learned how to play it, you know, after all, all these years. Um, anyway, that got me into, well, I should get something electronic so I could play at night. Right. Which was a dumb idea, by the way, electronic drums are not, I mean, they're, they're not as loud as acoustic drums, but they're not quiet. Right. Yeah. You just have that pat, 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 yeah. pat, pat. Like I set the electronic kit up and the first night I came down here at like midnight, I'm like, I'm going to play the electronic drums, right? Put on my headphones, fired up, uh, um, not, uh, addictive drums, addic okay. addictive drums yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. with this, all these pads playing all these amazing addictive kits. I start banging away like half an hour later, my studio is outside. Like you have to go outside the house to come in. My wife comes down, comes through the door and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> You know, and the kids were awake at like midnight because they couldn't figure out what the sound was of pat, 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 you know, like it's loud. It's, it's loud. The cymbals, it's just like hitting a drumstick on a hard rubber thing. But I had headphones on and I, I didn't realize that was literally like the first night that I set up the dumb kit, electronic kit. That is um, so that didn't work. Didn't work. But what I did learn from mapping all these i put i put this like ad hoc rig together mm -hmm. and i bought like a voltage to midi converter box i wasn't ready to do the full roland crazy stuff like i have now um and then i was playing it in addictive and i never knew i think i mentioned this to you guys i never knew in those high-end drum plugins like addictive for example the hi-hat has like six or eight maybe ten i don't know degrees of openness mm. right yeah. When you're programming drums, most people never get this far, right? You go like open, closed, 
Yeah, like that's yeah, it. Hundred percent. Rolling like rolling XOX, right? Like eight oh eight style. Open, closed, open, closed. You know, you know that that kind of thing. Real drummers. Now I understand why they're like these devices all suck. You know, and and now I realize, um, yes, there's all these degrees of openness on an acoustic kit, but I never really knew the high end drum plugins all do this too. So that pedal fully closed and like you're pushing it down that's that's the roll in closed chick 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 you can go a little open you can go to like mostly open all the way up to basically it sounds like a symbol if you go all the way open and you hit the hi-hat right the two pe the two the bottom and top hats don't even hit each other and it just sounds like you know like a symbol yeah all those plugins superior drummer addictive drummer um probably the steven slade i don't use it um they have all those degrees of open and closed. Yeah, superior drummer. You can only get at it. List. Yeah, you can only get at it with a CC with a continuous controller. That's awesome. That's. I like... never after honestly like, I'm coming up on like 40 years of programming drums, mm -hmm. and I never had access to something like that. And so now this idea that the drums are all one note, right? Chick mm -hmm. chick 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 chick. I'm sorry, the hi hat is all one note. Chick chick chick. And then you use continue use CCs. Yeah. To do not just not just binary like open closed you can do all those steps in between even if you don't have an electronic kit addicted drum superior drummer all those plugins you just figure out what the cc number is and i don't remember off the top of my head um you could draw that in and now you not only have your open and your closed but you can get all those steps in between and suddenly you're getting sounds that like the Roland style of programming or the Ableton drum rack mm -hmm. style of programming, it really can't touch. It can't be the, um, can, can native instruments, their drum, I don't think they're not on that level either. Like they're 16. I, or... they might, they actually, like if you're loading up, um, like the, uh, the native instruments kits, like the, I actually for my band, I use the eighties kit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Which I think is, a uh, based on a Yamaha recording custom, like one of the most okay. popular studio kits. Mm -hmm. Um, it might do that. It, I wouldn't. I. I. I can't say for sure. I'd have to look at it. Um, yeah. But yeah, worth checking out. Imagine you just do one note for the hi hat. You don't do the like open closed. Mm. You know whatever. Um, you could just do one note for the whole song. Yeah. And then use the CC. Right to That's do awesome. the open or closeness. That was a revelation for me. I. I mean, yeah. this is last year. I figured this out. You know, and I bought my first drum machine. I was probably 10 years old. So, you know, almost 40 years ago. Um, and I just resigned myself to the Roland style of. Well, that's just so cool because like there's so many like, like, you know, like with drum machines, like there's the Roland drum machines, like you got the 909, the 808. And then, you know, you, we talked about, you know, the plug-in drumming and then the real drumming. And then don't forget Akai MPC drumming, you know, and yeah. then like the yeah. Renaissance 3000 and like 2002. And it's like, there's so many types of drumming and like sample, like chopping. It's just so you could there. They come in different angles. There's different roads. And I think that's it's a beautiful thing with it all. Yeah, there's so many. I mean, yeah, and it's improved. If you want realism, it's got like like the orchestral stuff, like we've talked about, mm -hmm. like everything, pretty much piano, whatever it is. Yeah. Although piano is a lot easier to model because it really is more of like a machine, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's all, even now, continues to be improved upon. You think like, oh, we've perfected all of this. But no, I mean, um, now have we at this point in 2022, we've, I think we're close. I think the... Yeah, no, definitely. 
Well, like I was curious, yeah. what is your thoughts on, um, and I talked about this with Harp before, like Jay Dilla, like how his like grooves, how it felt realistic. Like I saw this, I think it was like a YouTube interview with Questlove or, or for Red Bull or something. He just talked about no one could match like how realistic, how he, like he would go in and just like surgically try to get certain sound to make it feel like a real drumming. And it's like going back then. Well, I mean, that. you know, to be fair, I, I'm not sure how much Questlove like really understands all of the technology, all of the available technology, right? He may yeah. know a few, he may know rolling drum machines inside and out. He may know, I, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, people, definitely. people like me, like, because I teach and, and that's been my main job yeah. for, you know, 10 years now um, and writing, writing textbooks and stuff. I can't claim to be able to produce music like either of those guys, but they often don't really know everything that's out there and how all the technology works. And that's kind of my job. I try to stay up on all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's also my hobby, which is kind of dangerous. My wife yeah. is always like complaining, like your job is also your hobby. So there's literally no division between working and, and, and like playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it also keeps me excited about teaching yeah. because I'm always, you know, like this, I didn't know anything about drums before I could sit down and play a better beat than someone who never played drums. Yeah. Right. But I couldn't legitimately hold my, and I knew this from playing jazz. Like I couldn't legitimately hold my own against a good drummer or even an in intermediate level drummer. Mm -hmm. And that was my goal. That was my goal. I want to be an intermediate level drummer, you know, yeah. like I, 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 you know, I'm never going to be, be able to play like my drumming idols, you know, but I didn't want to just be hacking away based on like what I'd seen other drummers do that I played in bands with or, you know, what, whatever. But um, anyway, back to the Questlove thing, he probably doesn't know that, for example, uh, and I'm just throwing this out there. I don't I'm not an expert on Jay Dilla, but yeah. Questlove probably doesn't know like, well, what is the swing? Uh, what, what is the swing sound like on the MPC? Because it's famous. I know it is. I, I'm not an MPC guy, but I know that the feel of the MPC swing parameter that Roger Lynn designed in the 80s, you know, um, is legendary. Yeah. And how much of Jay Dilla's sound, and I, I don't, again, I don't know, but I'll just throw it out there. Yeah, how much yeah. of his sound was actually understanding and taking advantage of like the swing parameter, yeah. you know, or something like that. Um, but of course it was, he was sampling and stuff too. So th yeah. there's that factor. I mean, the thing I always kind of laugh about is, well, you can just sample a great drummer and then you have a great drum track, right? Like how, how hard is it really? You know, yeah, definitely. but, um, but obviously there were guys like Jay Dilla or like if you look at um, like DJ Shadow, mm -hmm. you know, if you look at the legendary MPC guys, right? Yeah. And, and I'm sure there are women too, but, you know, um, they learned that thing inside and out. But, you know, the sampling was the main part of it, was, was definitely the main part. It didn't even have to be an MPC. You, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then if you add a knowledge of the swing or a knowledge of the gating, you know, or how you could lay out the pads, the way, you know, the Ableton drum rack is just a knockoff of an MPC, yeah. you know? Um, it really is. Anyway. It... Yeah. So not to take away from Jay Dilla by no, any yeah. means. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah. he's obviously one of the all-time greats. But when people say like, well, no one can ever touch that. It's like, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, nowadays, some kid in their bedroom probably can oh, yeah. can make mean, something. I didn't mean like you know? that. I was just saying back yeah. then, like, I don't know if anyone, like, like was just going into that level that he was. Unless unless I just need to be educated I more. Because I don't know. I need to know more of the history of it. I just, the only person who pops up who I like, I think, you know, boom bop, you know, all that kind of stuff is really interesting. You know, totally different type of genre of music. And it's just, 
the, the name that always pops up when I talk to people or like Stefan or anyone yeah. or Tyler Ross is just, they yeah. always bring up Jay Dilla and I'm like, okay, cool. You know, it, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, he's, he is one of the all time great. He and I'd say DJ shadow are probably the two. I mean, a lot of people have used them. I mean, I, I don't know, Dre, I mean, who? Yeah. I, you know, Jay Z, I don't know, but Probably, yeah. when you talk about virtuoso MPC producers, oh, yeah. I would say Jay Dilla and, um, DJ shadow. If you don't know DJ shadow, yeah. um, he's a Bay area guy actually from, uh, I know he went to UC Davis cause I know he knows. I think I, I could be mixing this up, but I, he's tight with the Black Alicious guys. Okay, sweet. Um, and I believe they, I, I believe they all met at UC Davis, which is kind of cool and interesting. That's awesome. You know? And um, they're around here, and I knew those guys a little bit as a reseller. I, I worked for Cutting Edge, uh, nice, which was like the best local reseller twenty some years sweet. ago. So I would actually meet the guys, like the Black Alicious guys, would come in and buy gear and. I didn't know DJ Shadow, but they're on the same record label, I think, and stuff. That's awesome. But, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was their instrument, right? They made that thing into their instrument. But I do wonder sometimes it really had anything to do with the MPC per se. I'm yeah. pretty sure those guys would have found a way. I think, you know what I, I mean? Like, he just, like, he just studied it, like you talked about. He just, like, you know, just sat yeah. down in the basement or room or wherever and just, like, learned the ins and out of that of the program of it to understand like you said the swing for what it's famous for and just understood yeah because that's what it all takes like i think if you're just dedicated to like whatever it is like the instrument or the i guess you can call yeah. it the mpc like an instrument like it's like yeah the, sure the, the, the yeah. material the tool and you like are willing to put in the hours and grinding yeah you can get to that level no no problem it's just all about dedication and being yeah well i mean like we people will call out prince is like he was a master of the lindrum right yeah. like all all that all that um early 80s prince stuff you know on the lindrum he wasn't the only one but you know he's the master of the lindrum but then you look at the lindrum and there's a very few parameters you know i mean it there's only so much you could do um and and, and what i mean by that for example is like you could take a classic prince track mm -hmm. um like delirious or whatever and I mean, I could replicate it on the Lindrum in, in probably like five minutes, you know, yeah. but that's not the same as innovating, right? That's not the same as innovating and coming up with it out of thin air and not to mention being a great artist and so, performer. So you know? like that brings up, have you, did you see the documentary Get Back, the Beatles thing on Disney, whatever plus? Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah. like just talking about Prince and all these people, like credit to all of them, of course, you know, they, they inspire all of us and everything but watching the Beatles like actually behind the scenes like for the youngest like for the longest time I always kept them like on this like high level of God level like for God's sake to have like this wood carve of John Lennon like for God's sake like here <laughs> like you can see like like <laughs> oh man so, like, yeah there you go you know, that's kind of like, weird it, 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 it's very it's very let me just explain like my parents, they went to Barcelona. This dude had carving wood of John Lennon, Freddie Mercury, you know, all these like uh, people. Mom saw it, you knew, whatever. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, okay, there you go. Okay, so you My have favorite to mug. Will it focus? Oh, no, it won't focus. focus. Uh, it, no, there you go, there you go. Yeah, Freddie Mercury. You see, you see what I mean? Yes. So, like, my son's named after Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Okay, I, I love my youngest that. son. I love that. That's amazing. If I have ever a kid, I'm naming him Marvin. And you know who that is. <laughs> yeah talk about a um 808 programmer yeah 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 for real but like the point i was like trying to it's like you know you hold them on this god level like or at least i did or kind of do i don't know 
main point I'm making is that like you see how they actually the workflow and it was just interesting like Paul McCartney you know on Get Back he was just trying to find some type of word that would rhyme he was just rushing because they had like a, they had a deadline and I was like I was like damn that's all it was like they were just and then you saw like the 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 the, the tension between Lennon and McCartney and how Yoko was there and there's this whole thing and then George getting angry leaving and Ringo's the only quiet one and it was just like oh my god they're just regular bands like everyone else it's like we just hold them on this weird level until you see the full well court. they i mean they had two genius songwriters right and the yeah. the and, and, george, and Ma- the, um, uh, george martin sorry not michael yeah yeah right the production was there later later yeah. like like with um sergeant peppers or whatever the production mm-hmm. became you know he became like a member of the band you know um yeah. But, you know, you look at that stuff and um, you could see, well, you saw, I saw what everyone else saw. McCartney was the only thing holding it together. Yeah, basically. Um, you can clearly see that he needed to move on because the rest of the band was really not, you know, Ringo was basically a sideman in the band. And, and I, Ringo's an incredible drummer. People, he's really underrated. But well, in that band, him, he's... People give him shit too much, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then he went on to actually, you know, Ringo and George Harrison had the first hit records post yeah. Beatles. You know yeah. what I mean? No, yeah, definitely. Like, they were huge stars. I mean, uh, Don't Come Easy, you know, and some of those Ringo tunes. People laugh at Ringo, but he put out a great record right after the Beatles broke up. Yeah, you know? he did. Now, I... granted, granted, I, I don't know. I'm not a huge Beatles nut. I mean... Paul McCartney may have written that whole album. I don't know. It was I. They didn't. They, it's not like they all hated each other. No, no. Right? I they, think they were just ready, like you, the, you the know. next chapter of their life. But also, I felt like Billy Preston yeah. really kind of helped glue it. When Billy <laughs> yeah, came, yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone was so happy, and they're like Billy, Billy, and like they just kind of got their shit together. They didn't want to act like well, this it, tension it, in front it, of it, them. You know what's funny is that then Paul. I heard an interview with Paul recently. He's like, I didn't hate Yoko. He was like, I didn't. He's like, I understood. He would say like. You know, John needed Yoko. Like John, mm. like Yoko didn't break up the Beatles. I yeah. mean, Yoko, you know, and so when you see her there and you're thinking like, God, this is so weird. I mean, he, I heard an interview with him on Fresh Air or something recently. And he was like, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like just he really said, just, like just fake rumors or whatever. People just like media. Well, no, I mean, it, it ultimately we look at it from outside and be like, what is she doing? It's so creepy. She's just sitting there. But, you know, it, he said in this interview, like John was in kind of a bad place. I mean, he. He needed someone, he needed support and she was there and they were happy and he was happy for John, you know, like you don't hear that stuff, you know? Well, anyway, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not really a Beatles expert. I'm not even that much of a Beatles enthusiast, even though I do love a lot of the music, you know, but, um, you can just see like, you know, they were writing albums in weeks, like, you know, they, they, they were writing, they would write a whole album over the course of like two weeks. No, you know, yeah. Um, it, it, go ahead. I was saying so. Lennon and McCartney clearly, there are other songwriting teams I think that are approach that level of quality, but no one I think since then can approach that level of quantity, right? Yeah, like, yeah, no, they. I, they I mean, just went on a different level. That's like, and 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 like you said, to them, it was probably a mechanical process. Like, I need a rhyme. I need a lick. I need a. I need a beat. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. It just so happened that they were so talented that for them, just banging out tunes created some of the greatest 
pop songs yeah. of all time. And, and, and we're like, wait, he, that lyric was just cause he needed a rhyme and someone sitting in the room yelled out a word and he was like, Oh yeah, that's good. And he threw it in and we're like, this guy's like Shakespeare, man. And actually he just needed a word that rhymed. Yeah, right. That, but that was but, literally it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you can't downplay that they were geniuses. So yeah. they're, they're working quick, working, you know, working just to a deadline and whatever was so good that the music was still yeah. incredible, right? For you or me, maybe if we had to do bang out stuff and work to a deadline like that, it would come out like corny or it would come out mm. not innovative or, you know, I I think I, it was I just a different mindset. And like it was, you know, also it was cool because like you saw even George, I think it was like in part yeah. two or part three, he, his, some of his songs that like he would release on his own, he presented to them. They just like, they were just weren't feeling. And I was like, wow. And there was a point, and I'm going to butcher what you're saying, but there was a point where yeah. he was just talking to John, Yoko, maybe Ringo was there. I don't know. But he's like, he, he was just like, I'm ready to do my own thing. Like I have my own ideas and I feel like I want to start appreciating myself and like try to go out here on my own. And, and John was like, yeah, you should, man. And it was like, yeah, George, like out of all of them, like the Beatles are great. Love them. But like George Harrison was definitely the one that I just felt like I respect the quiet one, as they always said. Yeah. Well, I mean, he obviously was very talented. He was the youngest, right? Was, I believe he, so. Yes, I think he was by the youngest. a fair amount. Mm -hmm. I think. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Like you said, they've been together like 10 years, something like that. You know, they, they had they had been grinding out gigs in clubs in Hamburg, I think. Yeah. You know, where they really got their sound together. And they were the actual playing. bar where they went, which was weird. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when they came back, they were ready. Like, people are like, how did they make all this great music? Like, they came right out of the gate. It's like, well, like a lot of bands, they spent years building up to that first record, mm -hmm. right? And then from there, they were just ready to go. They could sit in the hotel room and write 10 new songs in, in you know, in 10 days or whatever. Yeah. And they did it. Like, you know, some of those albums, they had nothing. They sat in a hotel room or, or later in the studio, and they wrote 10... 10 songs of which five of which are five of the greatest songs of all time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other five are the other five are at least interesting, you know, good, good song they, starters. So practice on the guitar or something. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, man, I don't know. It's crazy to think about all this stuff. It was a different time. There was a lot less music being released, you know? And so we'll just, I do kind of go ahead. I just kidding. I do kind of sometimes feel bitter about the fact that like, for me, coming from like playing in bands and stuff like that, and being interested in music production, you know, if I were if I were ten or twenty years older, like I would have had a career making, like as a recording engineer or or, or whatever, you know, I could, I could have had. But I I started my career in like basically two thousand, mm. like that was all gone. Yeah, you know, that was all I, already I gone. That. Like I feel like yeah. the times are changing, and like I don't know. I feel like and like. You know, like how we talked about, like, when we were just getting, like, food, like, about, like, what if with they were, like, Jimmy was still alive and, like, what, what was yeah. the possibility? It's just, like, I sometimes, like, talk about this, like, with some friends or, like, my parents or whatever. Just, like, man, I wish I was, like, you know, born in the 50s and then, like, in my 20s, I could be the 60s of that music because I, like, I appreciate yeah. that era yeah. so much. And just, like, what if I had that chance of just, like, I mean you know, you know, you just don't know. And it's just like, I feel like that I connected yeah. with that era so much, at least the music. I mean, when I was happening, everything else was all fucked with nom and politics, but like with the music, I feel like, God damn that. Was, and then you just give like the radio man 20 or 50 bucks just to play my song. If he vibes with it, just give it a chance or whatever. <laughs> and it was just like, 
bro i and you can't I, do that now today <sighs> no i think about either being a being a good musician in the 60s you would have been able to join like I, i've read a bunch of the biographies of like um uh, Ginger Baker and a yeah. little later Bill Bruford, Bill Bruford, you know, mm-hmm. guys like that. And you realize like they, there were only, you know, there were, I don't know. It seems, it seems like there were like, you know, 20 or 30, maybe yeah. 50 great musicians in London. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then it was like, oh, well the stones need a drummer and Ginger Baker didn't want to do it. Yeah. Right. Like he didn't, he didn't want to do it. Otherwise he would have been in the stones. Instead he was in cream, you know, like, he was and you just realized man. like, he was scary. I didn't know. Well, how, he's, I, I mean, didn't know how crazy I, he was. Like, he's a horrible person. Yeah. I mean, let's not, let's not mince words. Like he's a horrible person. Um, and it, it, I don't know if it, it barely, his drumming ability was, you know, you know, barely outweighed well, barely, like right. His, his horribleness as a, as a human being, you know, well, it was crazy but, how he um, came from jazz and then, then to rock and then yeah. went back to jazz and everything like his style. But if you listen to him and if you listen to, um, Mitch Mitchell mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, that kind of, you know, they, this jazz, their style is so jazzy. Their style is coming from, you know, um, all of those great like big band drummers and jazz yeah. drummers and Ginger Baker was known as like the best I think was like the best jazz drummer in in London. But you just know? a total dick who just beat up his some of his players or like there was a documentary He's that a... came out and Eric said he was scared of Ginger like he would just be scared yeah. to like see him. He was trying to get away from him, yeah. right? Like, yeah, basically, um, just leave this group. <laughs> the story goes he showed up for um, Blind Faith, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, with he wanted to be in a band with Steve Winwood, who's one of my I, I love, love, love all of Steve Winwood. Yeah. I mean, the early stuff, the, the, I love what he did in the eighties. I know not a lot of people did, but I loved it. Cause as a keyboard player, you know, I loved his playing mm-hmm. and he would, he'd get soul out of like these Korg kind of cheap, not yeah. cheap, but like, these weren't like legendary profit mi- yeah. mini mug. These were just kind of cookie cutter digital synths, And he would still get these expressive sounds out of them and stuff. And, and I loved his singing. I always loved his singing. Um, Anyway, the story goes like he, you know, um, Eric shows up for Blind Faith and 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 Ginger Baker's there, I think. I, I don't remember the story. And and that it was like um, Steve, I, I think I'm probably saying this wrong, but Steve Winwood was like, oh, I, did, I thought you guys were friends, you know? Yeah. And and <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, and Clapton's like, no, I just wanted to get away from those guys, you know? Yeah. Because it was really Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker were the two. They had, they had ba- I mean, neither one of them. It sounds like they were both like really awful people and and awful people to be in bands with, which yeah. is not the same. Right. Like, I don't know about I imagine someone like Keith Richards, like you don't want you, you don't want him to be your friend. But being in a band with him, you, you know what I mean? Like there would be some camaraderie or something. Apparently, these guys were horrible to be in bands with. So it just sounds. Anyway, like, I don't know. What... It just reminds me of like <laughs> Anton. I think he's Anton Newcomb. I don't know if I said that right from the Brian Jones massacre. Like he was like, uh, I'm just pulling it up now just to make sure I get my info right out here. Uh, but like they did a movie or whatever. But like I forget what the movie was called. But like he would literally, if you were not playing on rhythm right or you're off by just key, he would come off, come over to you and slug you. He would just hit you while you're jamming, yeah. and they'll start fights. And I'm like. Like that would give me anxiety. You're playing, and all of a sudden, one of your mates just comes over to like, like who does that? What kind of fucker does that? That's just that's insane. definitely a, sounds like Ginger Baker. Yeah, I, apparently Jack Bruce was like that too. Or really, so imagine okay, those two. Okay, yeah. Oh yeah, that's apparently insane. he was. Yeah, but that's the thing that but, he 
Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I, that now, again, I read Ginger Baker's biography, and he's obviously totally full of shit, like, yeah. 90% of the time. Oh. And he'll admit, like, he was on drug, you know, he was high, like, the whole, you Oh, know, yeah. You got to watch this documentary. You got it. If you've yeah. seen it, it's so good. Like, this dude basically did the kind of, like, didn't work for the Rolling Stones, but he wanted a gig there. So yeah. he lied to Baker and said, I work for the Rolling Stones. They're doing a paper. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, Ginger, and Ginger Baker, like, attacks him, him yeah, at he, one point, he, right? He, he yeah. hit him in... <laughs> At, at whatever age he was 80 or 70 and it was just like yeah. still still an animal as he is but like yeah yeah go, going back to what you're saying it's just like yeah like back then or, or living in uh is it oh fuck laura lauren canyons or where was it uh, like, laurel canyon yeah yeah like you know yeah with uh the buffalo springfield you know uh Crosby, the mamas and the papas yeah, and, Crosby, still yeah, like they're all over there and it's just like mm-hmm. oh my god joni mitchell yeah. one of my one of my all-time favorites Amazing. yeah queen you know and carol king and like all these people and it was just like like that was like and maybe you were saying like everyone knew everyone who was like you need this, someone who's actually could play here you go and yeah then, like they all just like yeah they jumped around and but today it's i guess the question is like why do you think in our time period like that that's not possible because it's oversaturated because it's easier to get music like why did that era I, die yeah well, I think that um, I can't really explain. I don't know if anybody can really explain. Maybe somebody can. Why is it that we had, in my mind, two of the greatest eras of popular music? So, like the late '60s, early '70s, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe mid '60s. I, yeah. I mid '60s to early '70s, and then the early '80s, basically yeah. the early '80s. So the two British invasions, mm-hmm. you had a very small population of, uh, uh, you know, Great Britain is not that big. Yeah. You know, and you're basically talking about London. Well, you have Liverpool. I mean, you have Manchester and Liverpool, but, you know, very not that big. Like, how is it that two of the, the, two of the most important eras and, and, and arguably the eras in my mind were like the absolute best music came out totally unrelated the styles, the styles are completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. How is it that this one country, um, you know, was able to produce that? And and again, I've heard some theories about it, um, about how you know, uh, well, how many English speaking countries are there, right? Like I've heard people talk about this. Yeah. Like basically, you have the U.S., Canada, Australia. right? The U.K., the U.K. and Australia. Mm-hmm. So where are the the biggest bands in the world are uh, again. This is a this is a theory I've heard. They're only going to come from English speaking countries because the recording industry was dominated by America, mm, right? Yeah. And the consumption of music was dominated by America, right? So, if you look at it that way, well, of course, the UK is other than the US. The UK is where all of that music is going to come from, mm, right? Yeah. Um, there's, uh, I mean, there's gotta be other factors, but when you look at that, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody was searching for the greatest next artist in Pakistan, yeah, you know, like, exactly. or in China or in, you know, whatever, whatever. And, right. Unless, so like, it was like the weird thing with like yeah. Ravi Shankar when the Beatles went to India and then, you know, that, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that was just, that was like, well, a flute, whatever that was like, then everyone like took that psychedelic, whatever music, but go, yeah. I get right. What you're but so you'd think English language record labels dominating everything radio stations dominating everything you know um so the money and everything it's like well yeah of course england was really the only other place that hits were going to come from 
So that's kind of an interesting theory. It's discounting all the socioeconomic other things that people love to get into, like, oh, the 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 um at that time, again, I'm not an expert on this, like the gap between rich and poor in England, you know, was was at its greatest. And mm -hmm. so all all of these artists were from working class families. And so it's almost like I've heard someone actually compare it to basketball in America. Oh, right? Weird okay. weird, right? Yeah, weird analogy. But if you're from a poor family in America, right, what are the ways you, if you're dreaming, you're, you're 15 years old and you're fantasizing, how am I going to get out of this situation, right? Mm. They were saying like in the modern last few generations, like one of the things would be sports, right? Okay, but yeah. in, 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 right. And then the other one would be, well, I'm going to be nowadays, I'm going to be a hip hop artist or I'm going to be what used to be, I'm going to be a rock star, but I don't know if anybody cares about that. So again, if you go to England and you think like, well, most of these guys, they came from working class families. So it was like, I'm either going to work in the factory, work in the shipyard, right? Or whatever, yeah. or I'm not going to college because that's just not people from, from that socioeconomic mm -hmm. position didn't go to college. So this was like, they took their shot. Basically they took their shot. Like I'm going to be a rock star. And so you had every every working class 15-year-old in the UK, you know, trying to be a rock star. So you know, I think um, that's huge. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. I feel like and if I'm wrong, you call me out on it. But like with college, <laughs> know, yeah. you know, but with the college too, like I feel like it was just like, you know, like you're saying all these people or even like a lot of these artists who didn't go to college to like they followed their dreams and they did it and it's like I don't know if you needed back then that safety net today. Like everyone's like, you need that like safety net to go into college yeah, yeah. And, or else no one's going to look at you even just for like other jobs. And it's like, I feel like I wasted four years when I went to college. I understand why I did it and my parents wanted it and all that. But like, like I felt, and maybe cause it's, it's, we're just in this era, but like, you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't have went to college if I was in the sixties, I would have just tried my hardest and find like the right, you know, the cats to jam with and like, you know, if you want it, you'll work for it and you'll, this is what you do. And like, yeah, I don't know. I think college back then wasn't like crucial unless I'm wrong, but like, well, all the hippies and yippies and all what was going e on. Well, even now, I mean, it, it, it would be somewhat reckless, I think for me to say like, oh yeah, we're kind of back to an era where you don't need to go to college. <laughs> um, I, it's not generally a great thing to say, you know, it, it's not a great way to think about six, having, you know, um, what am I trying to financial success? Because yeah. happiness is a totally different thing, right? But having financial success, it would be stupid of me to say, like, well, not everybody should go to college because clearly no, that for, is a huge factor. For some things, yeah. like, yeah, but, you definitely need to. I get it. Yeah. But are we sending too many people to college now? I there's a case to be made. We we need a better model. Oh. I mean, I see this at Foothill, right? Mm -hmm. We need a better model. We socially promote students to get them out of high school that aren't ready for college. They're not really succeeding academically. Right. Yeah. And then we, we pressure them to go to college, even though a lot of them weren't really successful ac academically in, in high school, you know, in other countries, and I'm not, a, again, I'm not an expert on all this stuff, but I know a little bit about Germany. My dad was German. Yeah. Like by 15 or 16 years old, if you really didn't have either the desire or the aptitude for school, then they would be steering you toward a vocation at that point. Yeah. So they would be steering you toward carpentry or steering you toward, 
I don't know, plumbing, uh, no, something like no, that. Yeah, um, jobs that if you are good at it, you can still, even in this country, you can still make a good living doing yeah. those jobs can't be outsourced. Yeah. Right. So, um, so, uh, I, I do wonder like, has college outlived its use and, and it, it, its usefulness, but in a big part of that obviously is the cost. Yeah. That's the hugest thing. And I think like you yeah. made the point, if you're not ready for college and also like a maturity, like for my dad, like, um, after he finished like high school, like my grandfather just at the time couldn't afford college at that moment, you know, cause my dad was the youngest and he had two other siblings that were going. So he took a year off, went over to Austria, was a farmer and like a ski instructor. He did that for a whole year. And also it kind of helped him with a maturity that was like, this is hard fucking shit. Like I want to like live a better, like, like he, he enjoyed, <laughs> he, he enjoyed yeah. it, but also got his shit yeah. together. Cause like, I'm not going to say, okay, he was a little bit of a troublemaker. He told me back then, but that's all I'm going to say. And like, anyways, yeah. it made him realize. And then when he went to like, he went to university of, of Vermont, uh, he, he grinded and it made, and he understood the appreciation to going to this level of education. But I feel like sending someone yeah. to college and not appreciating it or realize like, like, cause there's some people like when I went to college, I just remember some people just, they just were there because their parents sent them there you know, just to like yeah. fuck around or whatever, making noise. And it's like, we're at this level. It's like, you're here to learn. And I don't know. I feel like college is pushed on so much. Like you're saying right after high school, it's like, you should take a gap year and figure shit out. Like, like there is no age. We, we have this, I think idea in our head where it's like, you have to go right after you're 18 or 19. And if you go later in life, it just seems weird. But why is it weird? You're following your like own path. I think that's what matters. Well, I think, the the only reason that I wouldn't recommend, I mean, maybe a year off, sure, but going later in life, I mean, you're going to have other responsibilities that you won't oh, yeah. have when you're 18. I mean, I see it, you know, that's again, the big community college thing is that we have a lot of what we call non-traditional students, which is, I don't know, I guess that's the nicest way to say it, but, um, and so they have children, they have, or they have a career already you know, or whatever it is. And it's a real challenge and it's a challenge to get through in the, in, in two years. I mean, of course is a big challenge. Um, and you know, they're, they're kind of addressing some of this stuff. There's some interesting stuff going on. I mean, I don't know if we want to get into this rather than talking about music or something, no, but, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, but they, you know, they no longer put, uh, freshmen in like in my college, they no, no longer put them into, um, remedial math and English. They've eliminated that. Wow. So they put, this is a law, this is a law now. Um, they put everyone into English 1A, you know, math 1A, like the first level of what we call transfer, transfer mm -hmm. level, right? Because what they found out was putting someone who struggled in high school into remedial math was really just putting up a barrier. It wasn't helping them. We, if people, you, you can see why you would think it would, like they're not ready for college algebra or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. They're not ready for that, or maybe calculus. I I I should know more, but I I don't know what exactly math one A is. Yeah. Let's say it's college level algebra. Um, they put them into some remedial pre-algebra or something like that. Well, the thing is, putting them to into any additional twelve week course meant that a third of them were just not going to pass. It doesn't matter what the class is. We know not a hundred percent of the people are going to pass that class. Yeah. Okay. And what they figured out was they put people into remedial. Then they put them into 1A, and when it was all said and done, 60% of the students made it through, yeah. okay? 
what they figured out is if they just threw everyone into 1A, 70% of the students made it through. Okay. Think about that for a second. Yeah. So the whole idea of throwing them into remedial math, it, it, you can see why they did it. It seems logical, but it wasn't. It was actually the wrong thing to do. 100%, yeah. Um, so they're figuring a lot of this stuff out, but they're still trying to build college for people where I, I, I'm not sure what the outcome is that they're necessarily trying to achieve. Um, but I'm not going to say, how do you expect an 18-year-old person to know what they're going to be doing like five years down the road? Mm -hmm. So for me to say, well, they didn't do well in high school, like they probably should just go into a vocation, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, for a lot of them, maybe that is that would be a good idea but then you'd be eliminating the percentage even if it's a small percentage that do then blossom right and then become a uh like a doctor or a lawyer or yeah. whatever we think of these Scientists, prestigious yeah. jobs to be right right they save the world or i don't know yeah. whatever um so i don't want to say like well we shouldn't we just should stop doing this in general no, you know what I, mean? it, I think it depends um, on like the career, what you want to do. But like to bring it back, like you said, to the music is like, let's say someone knows that they want to become like an audio engineer or like a music yeah. producer or, or just an or a songwriter or whatever, some type of focus in the music. At that point, yeah. it's like, well, what's I, I mean, why am I going to college if, if if the only music or the only thing that they offer in college is orchestral stuff, you know? Like at U of A, oh, it was oh. only it was only orchestral stuff or jazz. That's literally what it was. There was no, I mean, they had one class on, you know, working at an internship at the studio, but still, then it wasn't like what we get at Pure Mind. Well, we're applying at Foothill. My program is applying to have a bachelor's degree. That's great. And I and which so we'd be the first in California. Um, and. Uh, what I wrote, I had to write this application and, and, you know, one of the big things I wrote that really got people excited and enthusiastic about it, you know, was, look, people are coming to me and they often, often they don't play any musical instruments, Yeah. right? They want to be a recording engineer. They want to be working game audio. They want to work in film sound, you know, whatever. And we lump all that stuff together and we call that music tech, right? Yeah. Okay. So. In my program, we're pretty unique. We're not part of the music department. We're not part of the music department, which is, I think, actually makes us completely unique in California. Um, and our degree is a AA in music tech, not music with a emphasis on studio recording yeah. or blah, 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 whatever, whatever thing. So, okay, we turn out people and they do really well in the workforce. But if they try to transfer, they have a problem they basically transfer into a music tech type program, but it's part of a bachelor of music degree mm -hmm. where they have to do piano. They have to be on ensembles. They have to be able to pass an audition on a classical musical instrument. This is right? like you're bringing back and, like memories for me right now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just saying, and I wrote this up, I said, you are eliminating. And if you want to talk equity, because community colleges, I mean, we are all about equity, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to talk about equity, that is not equitable. You're taking someone who wants to be a recording engineer, who wants to be a game sound or film sound designer, who wants to be a live sound person, who wants to be a broadcast audio person, whatever it is, and you're making them, they, you're, not, you're not just making them, you're requiring that to get into that program, they have to be a classical musician, Yeah. right? 
It's a ridiculous, in, in 2022, this is a ridiculous concept because guess what? It has no relevance at all yes. to any of those jobs. hundred percent. Right? So, and you know what? I'll just call it what it is. It's racist. It's classist. If you, de facto, I'm not saying the people have that intention, no, yeah. but that's, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Right. It's, and it's so ridiculous. you can see, I get really passionate about this because we have more diversity in our program than you're going to find in any music program. No, no, it really right? in any university, let's, unless, unless you're yeah. going to, I guess like, well, I don't know what they do at Berkeley, Berkeley school, you know, in Boston, I don't know what, what's the requirement there. But like it's so expensive, you got to yeah. wonder how diverse it well, would be. I mean, not to stereotype, but yeah. you, you you do have to kind of wonder. Well, no, that's know? why. That's why I mean, like, I chose like one of the reasons why I chose Pyramine. You know what I mean? Like at Berkeley, yeah. one year it's like sixty five thousand, and Pyramine is like twenty five or something. And it's it's yeah. And I feel like I've learned, and I also love how like small the classes at Pyramine. I really get to know the instructor and my colleagues, and yeah, it's yeah. it's. it's it's ridiculous, I think. And I don't, there's no other school. I, and I, this is great that, you know, Foothills doing this because this is what I'm talking about. Like, I felt yeah. like I wasted four years when I was at, you know, U of A, University of Arizona, because like they didn't have anything like this. There was like one or two classes that did audio yeah. engineering, but still that wasn't enough. Like it went fast and it was just, it was just I don't know. It's yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, obviously it takes a long time for these kinds of things to change. And, um, I think right now we're seeing this where we kind of hit peak college a few years ago, mm -hmm. right? We hit peak college. I want to say in like, it might've might been like 2010 mm -hmm. or something. Um, and I think it's, there's a correction kind of happening. Uh, the price is forcing people out, yeah. which is not good. Yeah. There's nothing good about that. But I think that the workforce being so strong and now what you're seeing, you're seeing places companies like Google, not to say that Google is great or benevolent or whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. who knows? I mean, obviously it's just a faceless corporation yeah. when it really comes down to it. And the fact the things they do in China are horrible, yeah. you know, to, yeah. in order to be able to do, you know, whatever. So we don't have to get into that. Mm -hmm. Like don't be evil is bullshit, right? Like their supposed motto. Um, cause now it's all about money. It really but, is. But they are now introducing these certification and training programs that require no college degree and they just teach you, you want to be, uh, you know, C plus plus software engineer. Mm -hmm. Great. In, you know, six months of eight hours a day, I'm just making this up, but like mm -hmm. we can get you beyond the level that you would be in a four year computer science degree. Wow. Right. And yeah. you don't have to do, you don't have to do general ed. Right. You don't have to do a bunch of math that is only barely loosely maybe related. Mm -hmm. I mean, math is a huge barrier for computer science, yeah. right? Um, they're like, screw all that. We're just going to do, we're going to teach you exactly what you need to know to come in as a junior level software engineer, making $150,000 a year when you're 18 and a half years old or whatever, yeah. you know? So um, thank God, right? Like this is the thing of like college was... And, you know, these institutions were the like gatekeepers to the middle class or at least the like upper middle class. Right. Yeah. And um, now, having said that, I think it's really, really sad, but also a luxury, clearly, that people don't get to spend four years developing them, developing their. Um, 
There's, I don't, it sounds, I don't, I don't know the right word. Like, intellect. Yeah. Intellect. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get what you're saying. Uh, but that's a luxury. That's a luxury. Like I'm going to take all these GEs. I'm going to take these history and anthropology and sociology, you know, do they make you a better person? I absolutely believe that they do. Yeah. That they make you a more well-rounded person. They make you in the, in like, you know, the community college and, 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 and liberal democracy speak, right. Mm -hmm. They make you a better citizen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, although conservatives would probably argue yeah, <laughs> the they, opposite. They, 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 they would know? be against yeah. all this, but like, it definitely, yeah. I think I definitely like I me mean, just saying like, people already know on this podcast, like definitely Bernie, whatever liberal here, but like, and yeah. I definitely, it definitely, it did open my mind even more, which is great, you know? And I think yeah. definitely it makes you well-rounded, but also I feel like, like, like I learned that stuff and that's great. But also I feel like some of the classes I took were kind of bullshit. Just like oh, I, yeah. I, I took a, I took a dinosaur class for God's sakes and a cloud class. When am I ever going to use that? Unless I'm on Jeopardy, family or whatever. I mean clouds like clouds in the sky. Yeah, yeah, like how they're made and molecules and the different types. And there's a bunch of different fucking clouds. And like that's a whole other topic. <laughs> Cumulonimbus but, yeah, and yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. It just did I just give you PTSD. A hundred percent. Those late nights just yeah. with like jittery coffee at one a.m. You're like I, I don't know. It looks like uh, yeah. Snoopy. I mean I don't you know. <laughs> exactly well just... yeah no i it can be a waste i took the rocks for jocks mm -hmm. uh classes and stuff too and I, I got college credit for snowboarding yeah and sock playing playing varsity sports um i played soccer and lacrosse in college and i got i got college credit for that well, wow right? okay which is yeah there you go weird which is weird like why i i don't know um and uh you know like one unit you would be your phys ed you, you could yeah. you know you were just basically meeting like your phys ed requirement mm -hmm by playing sports, which is fair, right? But why is any of that part of college? I don't know. Someone has this idea of the well-rounded liberal democracy uh, um, uh, citizen participant, right? And and that is the thing. If you really get down to it, that's the idea of the four-year degree. But don't like, we get that in high school, though? Like, I no, that's what, I mean, no. Oh, well, I hope. I, okay, well, yeah. And then in college, I mean, you're, like, focused. I guess that's master's or graduate. Talk right? about bullshit classes, dude. Look at what you took in four years of high school. Y well, My yeah, God. that is – I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean – you know, I, I it, it, with often faculty, I think who don't even necessarily specialize in that field. I mean, the yeah. one thing you get in college is at least, at least you have a faculty person who may be a terrible teacher, yeah, or have no personality, but at least they chose to get an, an a, like an, an extended education in that area. Mm -hmm. Not to put down K through twelve. That's not yeah, what I mean. 100%. But I mean, we've all had teachers in high school who are like, well, they're the English teacher, but they're subbing for history, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's like, well. Yeah. Um, and you do schools do what they have to do, but, um, you know, you don't have to have a PhD in history to teach high school history. You well, know? that's, that, um, well, that was just the other so, crazy thing. It's like half the people or half my friends were like, except for like the people who want to focus in science and med school and, you know, law school, like all my other friends who I talked to and stuff, whatever their major was, you know, history buff or whatever, they're doing something completely different. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, 80. And it's like, well, what was the point of focusing on this major and doing this? It's like, just like, I don't know. I just think, well, uh, I was pre-med when I went to college at first. Yeah. Um, but I took the classes for the music major. Fortunately, I went to a liberal arts college and I didn't have to declare a major. The idea, by the way, the idea that you apply to a college for a specific major 
to me is a perfect example of how completely broken and messed up yeah. college is. I mean, I hear this from um, my students and, and like relatives and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, like children of our friends. They're yeah. like, oh, where are you going to apply? Well, I want to go to into business, right? But I, I won't be able to get in to business at UC Irvine I don't know, Davis. UCLA I'm just making this up. Whatever, yeah. So I'm going to apply in anthro. And then I'm going to transfer over to business That's... once, uh, you know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, why is anyone putting barriers toward which major you can have oh. in college to a bunch of 18 year old kids who don't know anything about anything? Right. Like, yes. oh, well, here we go. We're going to parse them out like you're going into business and you're going into pre-med and you're going into what I mean. I, so I don't know. I, I never had to deal with that because I went to a liberal arts college before I transferred into a music conservatory, mm -hmm. you know. But I went in pre-med along with apparently 50% of the incoming class at my college was pre-med, you know, mm -hmm. but pre-med's not a major. Yeah. So you have to declare in biology, chemistry, whatever. And I was like, dude, I'm not doing that, you know? So I was a major. I, my plan was to be a music major. I was going to finish, the, you know, uh, a liberal arts degree with the music, music as my major, you know? Um, and, uh, I have to say, like, I thought that was pretty cool. I, I, I was like, by the way, um, my mom is a psychologist and, um, which is part of how yeah. I was fortunate that both my parents had professional careers and that's what got me into music technology. I mean, that's what allowed me mm -hmm. to have the resources to get into music technology when I was a kid. And I, I definitely don't take that for granted. I mean, not everyone, and we weren't wealthy by any means, but because I had parents who were both like educated and successful. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to get into synthesizers and drum machines, which, which were, you know, not inexpensive, but, um, uh, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought, no, but anyway, yeah. well, just saying uh, like, like the, the, the overall here is that like, I just feel like, like, just like, unless you're going to go and like, do like being in concerts and halls and stuff like that, like actual people who want to be a yeah. soloist and stuff, I understand that. But like. For me, I didn't want to do any of that shit. Like I, I have an admiration yeah, yep, for yep. orchestral music and I want to compose it. But as someone who wants to be an actual like music producer, not a composer, like I just like it just felt like I did this four years. Where do I go now? There is no like there is job fairs at University of Arizona where you meet like conductors and talk to them and stuff. But I was like, this is not useful for me. What am I supposed to do with this? Like you, I feel like you just wasted all this money here, and now I have not just just like start from zero again or level one to find a job or go to some other. School. Well, that's why, that's why I went to graduate school. <laughs> yeah, and the, but the I only, was finishing. Go ahead. I was finishing. Oh, oh, oh! I, I, I slight, slight U-turn. Yeah. I remembered what I was going to say. Um, my mom was friends with the dean of a local med school, mm -hmm. medical school in Ohio, where I grew up. And she told me, and I think this was true, she told me the highest rate of acceptance into medical school is music majors. Wow. That's crazy. Not the, not the, not the largest number of students, yeah, yeah. but the, the highest rate of acceptance was amongst music majors. I wonder why. Which I is. found, I think, because they didn't want any more chemistry majors. They didn't want any more biology majors. They didn't, the medical schools don't, doctors, I think, realize maybe maybe like they don't actually care about that stuff yeah even though it's being crammed down your throat and mm -hmm. you do there is going to be some of that you know clearly in med yeah. school but i think the idea is that anyone who wants to be a doctor badly enough is gonna 
can learn all that stuff. But wow, I mean, having someone who was in who was a musician and was a music major in college, rather than yet another biology major, that's something that they want in their field. Yeah. You know? And I found that really fascinating and kind of validating. You know what I mean? Because um, I could do all that stuff, but I really was passionate about music. And then you think, well, well, yeah, but what am I going to do for a career? You know? Yeah. And you hear the stories of like the best local band in Dayton where I grew up is all doctors. Wow. And they were like all music majors in college, became doctors, and now they play in bands and stuff like that. And I, I, I thought, you know, being a middle class kid, I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I don't want to be, I don't want to starve. You yeah, know? I get that. Um, and then, and then, uh, and then, my dad died when I was, um, when I was nineteen, mm. and I was like, fuck it, if I starve, I starve. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like do. <laughs> I, mean, well, I, I had no idea what I was gonna do, but I just said I'm not going. Also, it be. Uh, that whole experience made me like not feel great about hospitals and stuff. You yeah, know? I get that. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, I didn't really like the people in pre-med either. Like yeah. I couldn't really relate. I oh, There's a yeah. definitely was a self-righteousness and a, like mm. entitlement. Oh, 100%. Um, that I was like, I don't really like these people. I mean, I didn't like dislike them, but I didn't connect yeah. with them. I get that they know? get a big head and everything. Like it's, it's yeah, it's like freshmen in college. Like, oh, I got an A in biology. I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. And you're like, okay, see you in 20 years. Yeah, we'll see, you know? we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, but you... yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's weird. Being being like a young adult is, you know, like it's kind of exhilarating. You have everything laid out in front of you and you have no idea what the hell, how it's all going to work out. You yeah, know? It, it, um, it's crazy. And you talked about the grad school and it was like, you know, going back to like, it was Berkeley, you know, and then also, well, for me, it was like Berkeley. And then I found out NYU had like this electronic grad school program, something I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Matt Donner went there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, so like, you know, I like, I was going to apply and everything, but then also I was like, Oh my God, you got to take like the GRD, whatever. And you got to do all these, like the whole like testing all over again for just music. And then I was like, fuck this, man. I yeah, yeah. So... The conservatory thing, uh, you know, I was lucky that I played instruments as a kid. I was pretty proficient on piano. I mean, nowhere near a concert pianist, like not even in the universe. But I played like jazz and rock nice. piano, you know, so I could get through piano proficiency, you know, doing a simple little piano audition and then having to play like, you know, chorales, like Bach chorales and scales and stuff on the piano. Got through that without too much difficulty. And as a pretty good bass player, I could pass off as kind of a semi-pro jazz nice. bass player. I mean, I have a double bass, yeah. you know, right here. Um, so I could get through the ensembles and get through those things in a way that a lot of people, uh, you know, they might be passionate about all this stuff and they wouldn't have those skills. And I was lucky. My mom made me do that stuff even when I didn't want to. That's good. So yeah. I was able to go through Oberlin, go to, go to CalArts, um, play in ensembles there, even though for the, and the master's program, that was a minimal part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there were people who definitely were like, they could never, they wouldn't have had either going into undergrad or definitely going into grad school. They wouldn't have had the background in music theory, music history, and some degree of instrumental classical instrument proficiency. Mm -hmm. They just wouldn't have it, and it's, it's, it's. I mean, it is kind of bullshit. Um, like I don't really it? use any of that. No, that's what I'm saying. So, like, what, like, 
like if you did go to NYU for a grad school and you got electronics, whatever, like what does that really do? What does you show you went I, to NYU? How does that help you it, with the connections? I don't know. Well, I honestly, two years at Cal Arts for me just gave me more time okay. to try to figure out, to develop my various different skills at things. I was in electronic music there. Nice. What they called composition and new media. Okay. And I had a, I, I was into very intellectual music composition. Mm -hmm. Like I was into, started off like with getting into Schoenberg and Webern and like mm -hmm. serial music. Yeah. And then that took me into like avant garde yeah. 20th century. Like my real academic expertise is like mid 20th century experimental classical music. Sweet. Which is the beginnings of electronic music. So, you know, getting into Stockhausen, um, and, uh, you know, all of that kind of early electronic stuff. That's really what I'm passionate about. And what, what I was doing in school was writing that style of music. In the 19, late 1990s, I was basically writing, you know, 1950s, 60s era music, which is kind of weird to think back on now. Um, the difference was I was doing it with a computer rather than a room full of oscillators and, you know, whatever. Um, I didn't quite understand that 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 was all derived from what's called the second Viennese school, okay. Schoenberg and Webern and and Berg and that kind of thing, and then just had electronics like superimposed on top of it, and then you and then there's also Stravinsky and some of those kinds of things. Verez, I was a big fan of Verez. What I didn't really realize is I was kind of making museum music. I mean, I knew it was never going to be mainstream popular music, but what I didn't really realize is it wasn't really cutting edge. You, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I was just able to do these things that these guys were doing 50 years before. I could just do it in real time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like Stockhausen would spend a year on a 10 minute composition and I could do it. I could prepare, I could write up a score, build something in super collider, all of which would take a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And then I could perform a piece because the, it was sort of indeterminate length. I could record a 20 minute performance of this piece and all of that could have happened in a week, you wow, know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But aesthetically I was creating music that was from like the fifties and sixties or even earlier, if mm. you think about it. So, um, but anyway, but I did love it and it was my intellectual, it was kind of the peak for me of intellectualism, right? Is like writing this music, talking about this music, being around people who were into this music, right? knowing there was no commercial application whatsoever. But what it did for me is it gave me like these huge ears, hmm. right? So that when I went into games, my first job, well, I interned working on films yeah, and I could just kind of like, I could hear it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could hear like what was going on in the sound design and the mix and everything. I was just like in this position because I was such, so deep into listening, mm -hmm. you know, and so deep into synthesis actually, like that kind of stuff. And delays and reverbs and all this stuff in, in way beyond like, how do you make something like the Beatles? Yeah. Right. Um, so it actually fit. What I'm trying to say is that that avant-garde experimental, what we call electroacoustic mm -hmm. music actually beautifully dovetailed with becoming a sound designer for like film and games. Yeah. Right. But I didn't know. I had no, I didn't know where it was going. I didn't know what it was going to do. You know, I didn't know any of that stuff. Um, and, but it actually was a perfect fit for that. And the time was right because games were just getting to a place where they had real capabilities mm. for audio. And, um, you know, I got my first game audio gig, full-time salaried game job awesome. with a 401k health insurance, everything else. And I'd never worked on a game before that. That's okay. So 
congrats on that. You know, that, that's, that's <laughs> I, I can't, I'm saying I can't really take credit. It was the right place, the right time. So, and, but I had this perfect. random skill set that was mostly useless, right? Um, except for this one or two things. And I was in Hollywood. I was lived in Hollywood, you know, so like I was at, I was at the right place. I, I mean, it's clear to me now. And I was networking with people and I had the CalArts network mm. of people and, um, you know, was it worth $75,000? That's how much I owed when I graduated. It was obviously, if you added up the retail price, it was probably hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars. Um, yeah, I don't know. So the, the thing is, people ask me about this, people your age, you know, ask me about this all the time. And it's like, it's hard to give advice because yeah. about career, um, if you want to do something creative, because luck, the biggest factor is luck. Uh, I, I, I just absolutely believe that. I feel, yeah, yeah, I like and that's and that's like what you hear the most, just the right moment, right time. You're in the right place, right time, and it's like, and I guess like you know, just bringing this up because we're talking about this is like, you know, this the idea of like, oh, the place to be is L.A. or Nashville, or maybe New York, and it's like, okay, that's cool and everything, and like L.A. was my idea, but then I was like, I have relatives in there, and I've been there, and I just like never felt like I fit in that well there, and like I just I love the Bay. The Bay just feels right to me. It feels great. Well, and I feel like yeah. you can still try to make like, like someone like, fine, we'll take me. I want to live here even after Pyramid and just do my whatever it takes. It is possible yeah. to do music or some type of audio job here. Would you say you just got to, it just. All yeah. So I, absolutely. I deal with this. Um, I deal with this at Foothill all the time. Every year we graduate 10, 15, 20 graduates. And then it's like, okay, what to do next? So about half of those people will transfer. And once, if we do get the bachelor's degree, which I feel good about, but you just never know, then those transfers will probably all stay at Foothill, nice. which I think is going to be incredible, right? I mean, I just think about where we can get them in four years of mm. intensive music tech training. They are not taking uh, music theory, music history. They're, yeah. I mean, we're, we're training them in... It's a vocational program. It's what we call CTE, right? Career and technical education. It's a vocational program, four years, dirt cheap, right? And anyway, but right now, right now today, it's transfer, which is about half of them. Some go into an unrelated field because they find out they're going to transfer and they're not going to have junior standing because they don't have the ensembles, right? They don't have the instru private instrumental instruction. By the way, I didn't mention that before. Requirement to be junior level in a music tech program in a music conservatory is also that you've had two years of private instrumental instruction. Mm. Think about the cost of that. It's, we, yeah. the reason we don't do it at Foothill is we can't afford to do it. I, I've even toyed with the idea that I would teach piano or bass. I would teach, uh, keyboards, mm -hmm. you know, or something. And I would just do it as a volunteer Yeah, just so that our 10 music majors who graduate every year can have on their transcript that they did two years of private instrumental instruction. Right. Yeah. Um, you see the difficulty there. So the bachelor's degree solves that in a lot of ways. Anyway, anyway, let's take the other half of these people. Maybe one wants to be a recording engineer, like one yeah. out of my each graduating class. And I, that's and, and otherwise I do not encourage it. I do not encourage anyone to go to go into, you know, making records for a living. Yeah, I don't. But there'll be like one person die hard. It's the only thing they can imagine doing. And we get one, maybe two every year. And I tell them, you got to move to LA or Nashville. You have to, if you want to be an assistant engineer mixing on an SSL 
making major label records, right? You have to be in LA or Nashville. If that's what you want to do, you don't have any choice. You have to go. You don't have to stay there forever, but there is nowhere in the Bay Area, not one studio that you can walk into and say like, I have Pro Tools certification, right? And I I have an associate's degree in music technology. And I, and I already engineered a couple of records while I was in school. And they're going to say, you're hired, yeah. right? There's not one studio in the Bay Area, not one. And that's what I realized, right? even having operator and stuff, it's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know who will hire you? Google, Facebook, Twitter. Those are the places. Apple. Even, so, but, yeah. so, even if I don't know C++, they would still, or would you still need to try to get that stuff? The coding no 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 well no that's a whole other thing do you want to work well just just straight yeah, you know who else will hire you go ahead you know who else will hire you avid universal audio mcdsp dolby those companies will be happy to hire you into like an entry-level position which by the way an entry-level job at apple google facebook whatever is going to pay you more money than you will ever make as a recording engineer at any point in your career mm-hmm. you'll make that in the first year yeah. working somewhere like like facebook i mean right? yeah if um getting in there that that's the key and it's like and that's the thing like if yeah. you're not if you're not like like you say if you want to be an engineer then of course go to nashville or you know la but like for me and some other people i talk to is like i don't care for that i just want to do audio that's 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 the end goal just something with yeah. audio that's all i care about audio in the bay i mean i you know i i train when i'm not teaching at foothill and Pyramine, you know i train other instructors for avid and I train, um, you know, professionals for Avid and for some other, like uh, some of the resellers around here that hire me to do training and stuff like that. And I can tell you that there are jobs for audio engineers um, at places like Google, Facebook, Apple, whatever. Usually it's either in event production, mm. which is huge, huge business there. I mean, I've trained guys on mixing on an S6 with Atmos yeah. And you know what they're doing? They're building the content that plays when Apple premieres new products. Wow. Okay. And they're in the top quality studios you're ever going to see in your life. They're working on relatively interesting post-production projects and stuff like that, that no one ever sees it unless you go, or you certainly don't hear it in Atmos. No one hears this in Atmos unless you go to the Steve Jobs Theater, right, at the mm-hmm. Apple campus or, or maybe at GDC, or I, I don't know what, uh, not GDC, um, Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference, whatever, then you'll see the work that these these guys do. But they're they're talented, they're experienced, they're working on the best equipment, they're making way more money than anyone else doing this work is doing, like working on, you know, uh, games or TV or yeah. something like that, right? Um, so the question is, is that creative enough for you? I think that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah. You can, you can make really good money. You can have a 401k, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but is that creative enough for you? Um, is event production, let's say uh, you're actually the person who manages all the wireless audio microphone systems for an event like that, right? Yeah. But there, you can make a six-figure salary doing that. Yeah. That's... Is that enough? Is that creative enough? I, I don't know. That, you, only you can answer that. And that's right? the question. And it's like... That's been on my mind. I only having one more quarter left. You know what I mean? But like, you know, I'm doing the like yeah. 
internship shout out to Stefan, like amazing, you know, and how he runs the yeah. shell and like learning how to set that stuff up and how he does his iPad and every all that, how the, like, I think, yeah, I think it's because I'm, you're still in music. At least I can speak for myself, like, sh- you know, setting up the setting up the band for people and then just seeing the smiles that you see people coming by and listening to the music. To me, that's, that's great. Am I playing? Am I doing that? No, but it's paying, like you said, like it's paying for my gear that I want, you know, in my treated oh, yeah. studio. So that's how I see it. Like yeah. it's still paying off the stuff I still want to do. And I'm still doing some music versus being in a fucking cubicle in an office getting yelled at at my boss or for some stupid shit or yelling at from a client yeah. for something I could care less about selling some, whatever, whatever the, I mean, you know, you can say like, I, I, I talk to my students about this all the time. Like, well, I really want to go to Hollywood. I really want to work on feature films. I really want to be, you know, yeah. I want to be doing that kind of work in whatever. And it's like, okay, okay, cool. Um, and I would I don't want to discourage that at all. That was my dream too. And then I I, I ended up in games just out of it was just random, right? Yeah. I ended up in games. But I worked on a lot of indie films and I still really and, and I do wonder if I should have been able I should have stayed at, to grind it out and become like a film mixer because that's kind of I think looking back, that's probably would have been my only regret mm. is that I didn't stick around, work at Starbucks for as long as I had to to make inroads into that because, uh, mixing it, post-production mixing is my, my single favorite thing. Yeah, mm. for sure. But, uh, everything turns into a job eventually. Yeah. I don't care if you're post-production mixing on star Wars, there's some point in there where you're going to be like, ah, oh, shit, I got to go to work today. You know, it's, it, it happens when I worked on games, it would happen all the time. Mm. Oh man, I got to get in my car. I got to drive to my office and I got to make cool sound effects for games. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But you would still not look forward to going to work that day, you know, Um, even though when the game was done and your name was on it and whatever, that was a great feeling. But in the burnout was real, you know. Um, But, you know, anyway, um, here's what I was going to say. If you let's say you are a sound editor in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. What number of sound editors in Hollywood do you think are working on creatively? satisfying projects i'm gonna say right there a few or none i mean a few okay uh, you know what i'm saying yeah. like you know game, games are better that way i think because games are fantasy worlds always yeah. always so what drew me to games is i wanted to work on weapons i wanted to work on vehicles i wanted to work on creatures i wanted to work on all that stuff and i could actually see right away that only like a dozen people basically in the world we're designing those kinds of sounds mm. for blockbuster films. Okay, yeah. And most of them appear, it seem to be at Skywalker Ranch. But yeah. in games, that's every game. So that's what drew me to games. Which is awesome. Um, you know, so what I'm really trying to say is like, just to summarize here, and then I, I do need to sign off here in a little bit. Yeah, but, definitely. Um, you think like, I want to work on films. That was me. Oh, I wish, I, maybe I should have been a film mixer. But how many rom-coms would I have been mixing? Yeah. You know, how many what, How many Bridgertons, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, would I have been mixing? And don't get me wrong, I enjoy watching those shows, but would, I, would I have really felt creatively satisfied being like the sound editor, sound designer, mixer on a show like that? Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think so. I don't think I would have found it that interesting. Imagine doing that for 20 years, 30 years, and you're not working on Star Wars. You're not working on the latest Marvel film. 
Mm. Uh, only a handful of people do all those films. I really, you yeah. know. So anyway, nothing is ever like as clear of a path as you might, as you think. Um, when you add creativity into the mix, mm. that's where it becomes very difficult. And what I always tell my students is think about the thing that you absolutely dream about doing. What is the thing you think? Like, if I could do this one thing, I'd be happy for the rest of my life, right? Okay, now try to figure out is that even really practically possible? Yeah. Okay. If it is, then you should do that. Mm -hmm. If it's not, what's the smallest amount you can deviate from that dream, but actually be successful? Yeah. I, I think that's the you know? advice you can give. It, it, yeah. So that's all I really have. Right? It's like, yeah. I know you want to be a hip hop, famous hip hop artist, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, okay. While you're young, by the way, you should totally go for it. Mm -hmm. But at some point, you're going to have to realize you're not going to make a living doing that. May maybe. You have to be you gotta, realistic. You got to have a like, so, reality check. What is the – so let's say you're 25. Maybe you're maybe you're 30. I, I don't know. I don't know. It depends. It's You have to – so I always say like, okay, where can how far can you deviate away from that? Could it be being um, in artist management? Mm. Could it be doing being a musical director? Could it be being the musical director for another artist um, or being a producer and engineer? Maybe that's pretty close. That's pretty close to being an artist, but maybe it's artist management. Maybe it's working for a label. Maybe it's working for um, like the, uh, like um, what's it called? An another world or, you know, like a um, concert booking, yeah, concert yeah, yeah, promotion yeah. thing um, or working at a venue or like maybe it's something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's go a little, a couple degrees further out. Maybe it's building gear. Maybe it's building, you're designing still, you're plugins still doing what you love and that's why like what i realized like um to make the full summary here is that like i realized yeah. if you like because like you might love something and like you said if you do it as your like career or job whatever you want whatever you want to use then you like you're gonna have that feeling like god damn but like you do still like you said deviate kind of go off to the path to where it's like okay it's not my what i would i dreamt about but also it's still in music. That's fine because then when you get home or later, you or whatever yeah. your free time, then you still have it. And then the passion's still there. So you're always still in music, and also it's not a waste of time. Where like you can learn something at your job, which is not what you want to do, and you can somehow implement it in your career. I don't know. That's how I see it. As long as you're doing something that's not like 180 from what you actually love doing, yeah. that's what matters. Yeah, I don't think like I mean. You just have to figure that out. And and again, a big thing around here is doing like event related stuff. And yeah. it could be sound design. It could be music composition. Yeah. But it's playing um it's a it's a trailer. It's an ad, you know, or something for a company. Uh, maybe it's only seen internally. That's a big thing at tech companies. Lots of creativity, lots of all the things you think about in advertising, in music composition, in sound design, and it might only be internal. Yeah. Right? I know that sounds weird, but it, it, it might only really be seen by people who either work at that company or um, are going to like a presentation at that company. I mean, so can you be happy with that? I don't know. I've always enjoyed working for the manufacturers. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I, I the times I've worked at Avid, um, you know, like I enjoyed working on the products and trying to make the products better or training people on the products, you know, um, that kind of thing was in my wheelhouse and then writing training materials. Like if you look at like, what's your all time favorite plugin, right? You don't have to tell me, but like <laughs> your all time favorite plugin. What if you could work on the next version of that plugin? What if you could write a training course 
about that plugin. That would be cool. Right? Yeah. Maybe maybe you'd like that. Well, I have. I, I, I've, I admire I've, yeah. the work you and like Steve. I think like teaching is an admirable job. Mm-hmm. Like a teacher, like I think that's like the greatest job because you're, you're you're helping. You're, you're giving knowledge back and like or starting a nonprofit. Yeah. To me, that's like a goal of my bucket list is to do some nonprofit or teach music to others because once like but to a level where like they they're here because they want to be here. You know what I mean? Like they're that to me seems like the best gift you can give is knowledge. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, the foothill job is like winning the lottery, yeah. right? Like getting a tenured position in community college period yeah. is amazing because there's none of the pressure, none of the stress. You don't have to publish. You don't have, you just have to be a good classroom teacher. Yeah. Like that's it. We hire people based on whether they can teach in the classroom and they're charismatic and they can connect with students and they all have the knowledge. There's never a question that they know what they're talking about. It's like, can they convey it to students? Are they at least like a reasonably likable person? I mean, I'll tell you what, I work with people at Foothill, Pyramine too, but at Foothill, I work with better teachers than I ever had when I was in college. Sweet. Yeah. You know, and some of my teachers were good. Don't get me wrong, but very few of them were great at classroom teaching. Mm, That's not where they were hired. It wasn't even one of the criterion that <laughs> was used, right, uh, 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 to determine if they were the right person for the job. I can pretty much guarantee you mm-hmm. that they didn't have to teach a class and get judged on their ability to connect with the students when they had a PhD from Harvard and they'd published 47 papers. You know, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it's not based on classroom instruction. At Foothill, that kind of person, if they're not good in the classroom, they get scratched off the list. It doesn't matter if they've been to Mars, mm, you know, or yeah. whatever. I don't know if that's the right. No, but if I get what you're saying, you know, like personality. It, and, it, yeah, if, if they get up in front of the students and they're a dud, their name just gets crossed off the list. Mm. Show me a show me a major university that does that. Yeah, you know, that's big. So I I think it's great, and I'm surrounded by really great, passionate instructors. Um, and uh, you know, Pyramine's different because you have. Uh, it's similar. I mean, all the instructors are good. They tend to have more like real world experience. Yeah. And I think that that's, what's really valuable at Pyramind. You can you know? really hear, um, you can hear the stories and like, like real situations and like, yeah, and you just, I don't know, but it's it, great. I like both. They're very different for me. They're very different, you know, and I've enjoyed both. What I will say just to kind of fall, the last thing I'll say about this, yeah. when, when I worked at cutting edge, um, this is, I worked in games for a couple of years. I got burnout on it in LA mm. Wanted to move to the Bay Area. For whatever reason, I became totally enamored, you know, with the Bay Area. I had friends up here. I'd come up and visit. I was like, that's a city, yeah. right? San Francisco, that's a city. You don't even need a car, yeah. you know, like yeah. I had to get up here, had to get up here. So moved up, took this job at Cutting Edge, which at the time was the premier audio reseller in the Bay Area. Hmm. Um, and, and I got to meet, go to every studio, meet all the like not necessarily the famous artists, but all their engineers and all that kind of stuff. And I learned a ton. It was big time sink or swim. You know, when you get a call from Skywalker Ranch and they're asking some complex technical question, like our synchronizer is not working. And it's like, you have no idea why you start to really quickly get up to speed on like all that stuff. Then that was huge. But here's the thing. Day to day, mostly it wasn't really creative. During the three years I worked there, I think I worked on like 20 films. During that time, wow! I was super motivated to go home at night and on the weekends, take all this equipment, all this knowledge that I wasn't really using during the day, right? I was building rigs. Mm-hmm. I was uh, installing them. 
I was doing, I was training people on them and then I'd get home and I'd be like super excited to, you know, edit dialogue or design sound effects or get my five one system set like, and, uh, during that time I'd have to look at my IMDB and I, it doesn't even have everything on it, but I think I worked on about 20 films over like a three, three wow. and a half year yeah. period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I learned what it was really all about to work on like independent films, you know, um, where I did everything. I did the dialogue editing, the ADR. I got really good at ADR. Like I became known for that in the indie film world. Like this guy does ADR at his house and it's better than they're doing at like, you know, $500 an hour studios. And it yeah. was, I could do it better than they could. It was kind of crazy, you know? Um, cause they were using tech, they weren't using the latest technology. Yeah. They had older, they were using video decks. They were doing this crazy yeah. stuff. And, and I learned they were also working as slowly as possible to maximize the billable time. Oh. They literally were slowing down on purpose to the point where it was frustrating to watch for me to watch those sessions. Yeah. I'd be like, what up. are you guys? Well, no, it was all about money. I mean, they had to make money. Oh, yeah. I, I get know? that. Yeah. But they, they would be. There'd be some new technology that would make them work faster, work smarter, get a better result. They wouldn't do it because they wanted their guys working slower. Okay. Damn. That was a reality of an yeah. hourly booked studio, right? Like you don't want to do it faster. Yeah. I, I get than, the money part, but yeah. Like they have a budget. You want to use all their budget, right? That's fair. Yeah. In the end, they get a great product and they're happy and you, you did it like under budget. But they would know internally they could have done it in like half the time. I mean, I would see this happening. So I built an ADR booth in my studio. I had a small Pertles rig. I had 5.1 Gentle X. I had the whole thing. I'd work on indie films and do tons of ADR. And I would basically go, how much money do you have? And they'd say like, well, I have a thousand bucks for ADR. you know. And I'd be like, all right, let's figure out how much ADR we need to do for it. And I'll make it fit. I'll make it work within your budget. You know? Sweet, yeah. Um, and uh, I wasn't even worried that much about the hourly rate because I had a rate, I had a day job. See, you know? and that's where it takes us. I was off. undercharging. <laughs> I was undercharging big time, but um, people would keep coming back. The same clients would come back the next year and do a different film. So clearly I was doing something right, even if it wasn't Skywalker Ranch level of, mm -hmm. of quality. You know, but that's okay. You um, know, like, like, it's just like a name that they have at the end of the day, you know, what they then i think it's better you know i don't know you know like 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 the name causes more like people want to work there because of the name or something versus you could do your own well well no, i'm not i'm not i'm I not mean, discrediting what skyrocket rent has done don't get me wrong no i just want to say like you know yes it costs an absolute fortune right to to work there whether it's sound design fully adr uh, uh music scoring right mixing but i mean let's be real like it that they're, they're the they're the best and well they're at the top yes yeah 100%. i mean there's a few other places that are equally as good i mean have just as talented people but yeah it, it i mean do you get what you pay for yeah i think so i mean you're getting the best talent mm -hmm. so i can i can bag on them for how expensive it is but there's no question that you're getting the best talent i mean absolutely so I, I'm just, I'm jealous. I mean, I, I, I wish I could have figured out how to, how to have a career working at Skywalker. And, you know, by the time I was at a level where it was possible to get work there, it just didn't make sense for me, you know? Yeah. Um, 
the money or the commute or the, you know, whatever. But anyway, they're great. I mean, and you should get up there if you never have. I mean, it is, it's Mecca for film sound. Yeah, no, I I I mean, mean, um, yeah, like I definitely will. And I like, I know you, you, you have, like, I, first of all, thank you again for coming on. Second of all, I didn't mean to go into education. It just kind of happened that like, there was so much to talk to you about on here. Like there's like, I'm glad we talked about like all the old rock and roll and education. Cause I know that's a big thing, at least like colleagues and, you know, other fellow classmates, they always, you know, it's something that's always on people's minds. They like, you know what I mean? So like, I think this was great. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you. Yeah. I mean, we could definitely, we didn't even talk about like synthesizers or or... thing. I wanted to get, (laughs) I wanted to get into that with you and talk about more about jazz and the sitar and everything. But I like, but like, again, I want you to come on again whenever you're available. Yeah. 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 Let's do it again. Like, I don't know. In a, in, in a, couple of months or something yeah, yeah for I, sure I'd be, great. I'd, like, I'd be happy to it, it means a lot to me i love to have you on um like even you steve or something and like heart and just talk about like like all about the you know eras of music and like how each like genre influenced one another and like yeah i just would love that to have you because you guys are great and like uh i feel like i learn a lot from you guys every time we talk it means a lot to me on the yeah. Well, you know, we should probably, yeah, next time we'll avoid the topics that were, that I don't, <laughs> that are just like based on my opinion about things I don't know very much about. You no, know? but you know, like the Beatles, but, okay, the, like the Beatles. You know? but, but other than that, like, like the education is so true. And like, like I, yeah. I've been there, like I, I recently got out yeah. of college and stuff. So I like, I, everything you're saying, especially like the one part that just real quick is that you said that just made me laugh because it's so true. It's that you, you pick some stupid or random major to get into the college and then you transfer to get in the real one. That is so people talk about that so much. It's ridiculous that that's a thing. Like, it's just, I mean, yeah. Well, the idea that the idea, um, that's the last thing I'll say. I swear the idea that how well you did at a bunch of arbitrary, mostly meaningless high school courses, Mm -hmm. right. That that's going to dictate like the path for the rest of your life is a completely absurd and totally broken system for how we do things, you know, and like the fact that I still I I interact with people and they send me email from their undergraduate college email account because they went to a prestigious college. I'm sorry. That is the most douchey thing. Like, I don't I don't care that you went to you know, whatever, Harvard, Harvard when you were 18 years old, you, 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 you knew how to game the system in high school. You knew how to game the SAT, which clearly, yeah, sure. You're not an idiot, but it doesn't really prove anything about you as a person. Mm -hmm. So you managed to win the lottery and get into Harvard. And now at 48 years old, you're going to send me an email from your Harvard, basically undergraduate email account. Uh, That's the kind of thing I'm like, that is why college is so broken yeah, that's in a this dick country. Move. You're right? just trying to show off. It's um, like ridiculous. I mean, you know, I still I still have friends that like a big part of their identity is they got a perfect SAT score, you know, or something. That's, and I'm like it, it doesn't really, matter. honestly. I think like I think it move on. Because yeah, yeah, knowledge <laughs> knowledge I guess is one thing, but like if you know how to like like I think real quick, Steve always says this and I totally agree. It's like you can take those Pro Tools tests, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, 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 yeah. but but he's like that doesn't matter to me. I want it, when you're in that chair and I'm right behind you. That's what I'm gonna see if you actually know your shit. 
as he tests to me a lot. And it's like, it's true. That's why the expert, that's why the expert is like the real thing, you know, and yeah. there's hardly any experts. I mean, there can't be more than a few hundred experts in the world, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, that's real. Well, anyway, that's kind of my take on it. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, education is, is, is kind of weird. It's weird everywhere. It's not like we're the worst or something. We just give people the most debt, but I don't think our approach to it is necessarily the worst, you know? And is it fair to make some 15 year old who clearly is not doing well in school in the traditional sense to make them go into like a vocational field? Well, it's, it's not ideal for them. Is it better for society? Probably, you know, probably mm -hmm. to give them a path to success and, and, uh, knowledge and, um, becoming a journeyman in any, in any field is a valuable thing, you know, but in America, we don't like to tell people what to do yeah. unless it comes to like, and other than for social issues, for real. right. But, um, Oh, it's all pull yourself up by your bootstraps, blah 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 blah, which is all garbage. Which is actually the completely incorrect usage of that ter that saying, by the way. But I think um, people will get what you're saying. Of course, they understand because it's so true and it's messed up. And it's like shout out to Foothill, you know, if this goes through because I think this is great. You know, if you guys can pull this off and have like a, like separated from the um you know music of what we know classical and you know ensembles and everything. Yeah, I think that'd be great to have see yeah. in the future. But, um, well, and, and you know, we're not the only ones doing that, but as you know, the other options are private. Yeah. I mean, and so the cost and in a lot of cases, the quality, but I don't want to say it's all bad. Yeah. Um, you know, but the, the cost is, is, you know, pretty astronomical and in any creative field, you got to keep your, if you want to have any possibility of working creatively, being an artist, whatever. You got to keep your overhead low. I mean, that's that's clear to me now. Yeah. That's really clear to me now. Yeah, I get that. You got to keep your overhead low or you will have to go, you will have to deviate from that path much earlier. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you won't be able to stay on that path. Well, I'm going to do this for five years. Like I couldn't have done it for five years. I need to be making money within like a year, yeah, you know, to pay yes, I mean, I'm in my that student. same boat right yeah. now. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. All right, man. Well, it's good chatting with you. And I, yeah, hopefully uh, it, you guys are going to have a great rest of your time at Pyramind, you know. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so but, much. Uh, I mean, thank you. I mean, I thank yeah. you like for everything. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for being a great teacher. Thank you. Uh, even like a friend, like just thank you for everything. Because like it's, it's, it's a pleasure, you know, getting to know all of you at Pyramind. Just because, you, I mean, yeah. people who want to come to Pyramind or come, learn want to be there there's a reason and it, yeah it's, it's oh that's i mean i always say like the difference between that and like foothill is you guys generally and and women mm -hmm. are not like 18 years old and have no idea what you want to do yeah. you just want to make fat beats or whatever yeah. maybe you've never even done any work right mm -hmm. pure mind is so different everyone usually most of most of the students are already quite talented yeah um and and have and have made music mm -hmm. right and have produced things and you've also decided you want to be there. Yeah. No one's going, mostly I don't think anyone goes to Pyramind because they're like, well, I don't have any other options. I guess I'll go to Pyramind because yeah, no. I do get that at Foothill. I definitely get that yeah. at Foothill. It is a community college. It's like college well, mentality I'm, kind of Pyramind. Yeah. Like no one should have yeah. walked around. We're here to show our music to these other like yeah. people to see what advice we need or what stuff we need to work on as an outsider. And you're in, yeah, like-minded people, right? The faculty and the staff and the students all kind of 
you know, are, are excited and, and kind of interested in all the same things. And yeah, you're, it's hard to find that at a, in a college setting. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah. Um, and I get students who already have a degree in computer science, have a degree in what, you know, like that, uh, Pyramind students always are kind of blowing me away. Like, you know, Josh, not to go down this path, but like someone who's been a professional musician for 15 Dr. years, Guzzi. you know, like, so, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so yeah, I love that part of it. I'm going to miss that part of it, but hopefully I'll still, yeah become around and yeah definitely maybe do. do and we'll have to do, yeah. i want like a goal is to have all of the my mentors and teachers on together on this podcast <laughs> all of you guys that would be man that would be super fun that yeah be, that would be really fun that would be so fun even students like get goozy or, or even jason or josh and just like yeah. everyone just like throw some question out there and you all just give your opinion and just piggyback or whatever you all can add just like it's just a casual, yeah yeah casual conversation like we're having now basically but just more people yeah yeah which would be great yeah yeah cool but yeah all right man thank you so much eric everyone thank you for listening and this was fantastic so thank you everyone